children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Tony, go come up and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just pray for my brother Tony now, and I just, again, pray that you'd be with him and allow him to, to speak your word clearly, to speak your word that you would have him speak. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, Lord, and our spirits to hear what you have to say to us today. Lord, we love you. guys. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start us off by uh, kind of taking my life into my own hands. This is going to be call and response, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a sentence, and then I want you, someone out there to fill, fill in the blank for me. Don't be obscene, but speak your heart, okay? This is, this is what I'm going to start off with. Kids today are... Oh, we got us spoiled. Kids today are Cretans entitled. Kids today, they believe they're entitled. They believe it. Any other kids today are coddled. So I got spoiled, coddled, Cretans, entitled, and one cute. Kids today are a tax write-off. Oh, my. Um, kids today is the start-off of a common complaint. It's a complaint that we hear all the time. Uh, we see it in headlines. Kids today are, are too fat. They're too slow. They don't read enough. They watch too much TV. They play too many video games. Kids today. Um, they present a million problems. And the hard thing is, is that almost all the time you hear a problem with kids today, what's, what's the uh, cause of that problem? Whose fault is it? It's us lousy parents. Kids today are our fault. We're awful. Um, we have a lot to solve and a lot to manage. If our kids are going to be healthier, faster, read more, watch less TV, if they're going to be well-disciplined and not coddled, We've got a lot to do. There are a million and three articles, a thousand books, telling us how to put our kids on diets, how to manage their screen time, what type of schooling they should receive, activities we can get them in. And it goes on and on and on. And uh, for those of you that are connected to social media, you know it's almost like a contest, right? My kid's a black belt in karate at three years old. You know. My kid baked cookies by themselves in a real oven. Um, parents have so much to solve, so much to manage. And in truth, kids today are a mess. I think with every generation, they can be a mess. Because children are what? They're, they're children. They're not born with knowledge. They're not born with expertise. They have to grow. 
have to learn. And parents do have that responsibility. As we get into our passage today, um, one thing that I wanted to pull out is there is no systematic program that we who are parents can work through to make sure our kids turn out perfectly. There's no list of rules that if we follow in just the right way and we check all the right boxes that somehow it'll keep our kids from experiencing pain or suffering or loneliness. There's no list of things that we can do perfectly that will cause our children to have a deep spiritual life. There's just not. And so as we read the words from Paul to children and to parents, let's keep in mind that the guidelines here are not on the specific tasks that we do, but it's a guideline on the relationship. What does the relationship with our children look like? And how does that have influence on who they become? Let's go ahead and read Ephesians 6, verse 1 again. It says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I feel like I should make eye contact with the two youngest children in the room. Maybe we got three. We got three people who are still... <laughs> Mom's shaking her head. Yes, there are three. You better believe she's still under my roof. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And all the parents gave a hearty amen, correct? Notice who Paul addresses first in the pair. We've been going through a pair, husbands and wives. We're in this pair, children and parents. We're going to be in another pair, slaves and masters. And in this pair, he addresses the children first. Um, there's something to that. Um, it, you could look at it as a writing pattern. Wives first, children first, slaves first. Those are the disempowered, generally, especially in the culture of the first century. If you were a wife, if you were a child, if you were a slave, you had no authority. No authority. And so there is... Uh, a pattern to how he writes and addresses each pair. But notice that in each case, Paul talks to these disempowered groups, children now, as if they're disciples. You get the idea here? So as this, as this letter was read to the church, it's not just read to the, those in authority in the congregation. It's read to the whole group. They're addressed as equals. Kids, you always feel like you're an equal with the adults in the room? No. Ethan's over here, and I'm, I'm, I don't feel that way. As Paul writes this letter, he's talking to you too. As if you can think and process what he's saying. He's taking for granted that you have a mind and a heart that can deeply reflect on the truths of God. That you're not just a kid. You're not just a young adult. You're not just someone who's to sit there and, and kind of twiddle their thumbs. He addresses you as a person, and there's a responsibility that goes along with that. He talks to you as if you're a student under Jesus, just like your parents 
are students under Jesus. And he tells you, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Notice there's no age given on children here. And so we could think that that children here are just the young kids. They're the ones that need to obey. But the uncomfortable truth of this is that in Paul's day, children were under the authority of their parents much beyond the toddler years and the, the teenage years, sometimes into adulthood. There's no age given. And so the command here is even to those older kids, those older children. Yeah. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, before I make it more comfortable for the children, let's make it more uncomfortable. Okay? The word here, obey, is stronger than the one used for wives in the last sermon. The one used for wives last time was submit, if you guys remember. We talked about submission as voluntary submission, someone who's kind of voluntary, voluntarily putting themselves under. There's an acknowledgement that someone who submits, you know, can do so even while making it known that they might disagree. In this word, obey, there's no wiggle room. It is a hard obedience word, which means don't talk back, don't mouth off, just obey. Don't ask questions, don't fight, don't stall, but obey. It's a harder word. But I want you to notice that the obedience here connects to the phrase, in the Lord. You go ahead and get the text back on the screen. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Whenever Paul looks at children and tells them to obey their parents, recognize that he's not saying it just because the parents are smart and wise and all-knowing. Did you catch this? And some of the kids here are sitting there thinking, my parents definitely aren't all-wise and all-knowing. I got stories I could tell. Right? Those of us who were older, if we were to talk about our own parents, we would have stories to tell. And so, when children are told to obey their parents, they're told to do so in the Lord. In a very real sense, whenever a child places themselves under a parent and obeys them, they're submitting not just to their parents, but to God. And notice that this assumes a spiritual relationship. Do you guys see that? It assumes that children can and do have relationship to God. They have responsibilities before God. They're not perfectly innocent. They can sin. 
children, as you grow and as you come into adulthood, God wants you to obey your parents as a part of your discipleship of them. You're growing not just in your relationship with your parents, but with God. Notice the next phrase. He says, for this is right. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is, pri- this is right. Parents, do you agree with that statement? That it is just right for your kids to obey you? It's just right. Things are good when the kids are obeying you, correct? It's just the natural way things should go. And that's true. There's a natural truth to the idea that as children get older and they come up out of complete ignorance of everything, that they need to listen to their parents, number one, when they're toddlers, so they don't die, right? Don't stick your head in the stove is not because the stove's a fun place that I'm trying to keep you out of. Don't run in the street is not because the street's the place to be, but it's adults only, right? It's to keep them from dying. It is natural that as, chir- as children grow up that they learn from their parents. But they don't just gain kind of knowledge of what will kill them and what won't. There's this idea that they should gain wisdom. The idea that it's right for children to obey their parents is not just right in the common sense sort of way but it's wise. It's wise. We don't focus a lot on wisdom these days. We talk a lot about knowledge, and so some of us might not get the difference. Wisdom is not just knowing things. It's knowing how to apply them. Does that make sense? So I can have knowledge, but if I don't know how to use that knowledge to the betterment of myself and other people, I'm not wise. Wisdom is not just having knowledge, it's knowing how to apply that knowledge. I'm going to read you this verse out of Proverbs. This is a verse that's addressed directly at children. It's out of chapter 23 and starts in verse 22. It says, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice. And so this verse speaks to parents in one very real way, right? How many of you are parents and worry about your children? What will become of them someday? Some of you are completely at peace. I'm not. Like, I worry about my kids. How, how is Chloe and how's Jonas? How are, how are they going to react to the world when it kicks them in the teeth? Like, how are they going to react when they get outside of my home and my protection and all sorts of temptations are thrown in front of them? I worry about them. And I know that if they get wisdom, if they seek it out, if they dig into it, that maybe 
one day I'll be able to sit back as a father who looks at his kids and just rejoices. Lord, you were gracious with them. Kids, I want you to realize that whenever the teacher in Proverbs says, go get wisdom, that that is not an easy thing to do. He says, buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Whenever he uses the word buy, it's like a transaction. Like you go out and you spend your money on things. He's saying, pay with your life to get wisdom and understanding, learning and instruction. Don't be stupid. Don't waste your resources on small things. Don't make quick decisions. Don't make quick assumptions. Think, learn, have a life of the mind. And then he gives a command. This is in Ephesians 6, 2 to 3. So he says, obey your parents, and he references it. He says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so whenever Paul is teaching children here, he doesn't root his, his command for them to obey their parents just in his own opinions, just in his own thoughts, but he reaches back into the Old Testament, right into the Ten Commandments, and he finds a place where God specifically told children to honor their father and mother. And then he points out that that command that he gave was the first one to come with a promise. He says that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Just as a brief aside here, um, I want to take a moment to talk about the place of the Ten Commandments in the Christian life. Um, so you guys have seen the Ten Commandments. A lot of times on like courthouses or lawns or whatever, they're these stone tablets that have these rules written into them. Rules that were given by God at Mount Sinai to Moses to deliver to the people. At times in Christianity, you will find folk who um, stop teaching the Ten Commandments, who stop talking about the Ten Commandments, out of a sense that the law has passed away under Christ. Whenever Christ came and sacrificed himself for us, he did fulfill the law. And the prophets. We have forgiveness. But we're taught that the law is still our tutor. It teaches us about the character of God. Who he is. The way that he thinks. And we can see Paul here. Not ashamed. He's not ashamed to pull out this verse. He's not ashamed to pull out this law. And say remember this command. And so the Ten Commandments, among the other moral teaching in the Old Testament, still undergird our sense of right and wrong. They're still there. And rebelliousness against these precepts is still sin. Let's turn to the promise that it gives. It says that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Here's, the, here's just the face of the promise. If you honor your father and mother, if you show them deference, if you obey them, 
if you seek to make them happy about who you are as a person. Not in a sense that you're just trying to fulfill all of their desires, but in a sense that you, you want to live a, a really good life and, and submit to them and submit to God. They're told that you'll have a longer, smoother life. Who doesn't want to have a longer, smoother life? Raise your hands. Like, adulthood is hard. Adulthood is not fun. And if you submit to your parents, if you submit to God at a young age, you can learn lessons that really will help you. You will save yourself from many, many pains. But it's not a promise that you won't face any difficulty. Never go to God and say, Lord, I obeyed my parents. How come I'm in a hardship? You promised me that it would be smooth and, and just good sailing the whole way. The promise here is both temporal and eternal. Paul turns towards the parents in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So if you were paying attention to the first verse, it was children, obey your what? Parents. Obey your parents. That's father and mother. And when it flips to the other side of the role, what's the word that we have? Fathers. I just want to draw out the unbalanced kind of relationship that we see in this particular pair. Because we can trip over it and start to think that somehow maybe mothers aren't responsible for some of the things that we see here as well. Fathers is used here because they have specific responsibility over the household, spiritually. Do you guys remember that from last week? Husbands, love, nurture your wives spiritually. The same is true here. Husbands in this situation have a distinct responsibility to lead the home spiritually and they're given the responsibility to instruct their children in the Lord but at the same time these words do apply to both parents so moms as you listen to this I mean think the common sense yeah that's something that I want to do I want to work with my husband to make sure this happens if I'm a single mom then I've got all the responsibility to make sure that this happens Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So there's a negative, positive structure to this. It's, it's kind of like a do this, not that. Have you guys ever seen the diets? You know, eat this, not that. You know, have an apple, not cheesecake. As if that wasn't obvious already, and you didn't need a, a book to say that. Um, in a real sense, Paul says... Don't do this. Replace that behavior with this behavior. They stand opposing each other. One sabotages the other. And he starts off by saying, don't provoke them to anger. If you have an NIV, it might say, don't exasperate your children. 
would you just do an aside to the adults in the room? You guys ever get exasperated by your parents? They ever provoke you to anger? I won't ask that question of the kids because your parents are sitting right next to you. <laughs> Don't wear them out. Through harshness and through overworking and through a lack of grace and love, we can poison our children against us and against God, and against the world. This uh, is a callback, actually, to some verses in Proverbs. I'm not going to go through them all, but in Proverbs 13, 24, 22, 15, 23, 13, and 14, and in 29, 15, there are verses that look to parents and say basically this, don't withhold the rod of discipline. Because if you do withhold it, if you don't discipline your children, then you don't love them. You don't care about the foolishness in their heart. You don't care about their shame. And you don't care about the danger that they're in. The idea there is true. That we discipline our children. We discipline them so that they don't end up in a horrible place. And the Bible confirms that it's a parent's responsibility to enact real discipline towards their children so that foolishness is driven from them. And in places, we're told how God disciplines us as his children because he loves us, not because he hates us. And yet some of us, in the name of discipline, have exasperated our children. I would never be a parent that would say, don't ever spank. That's the literal interpretation of the rod. But there's a time when it's just, it doesn't, it's not getting anywhere. And turning up the dial on how hard you hit them will do nothing but drive them away from you. At some point, it really does become abuse. We need to give our kids structure to live in. But if that structure is overwhelming and oppressive, they will flee. And so we are responsible to discipline our children, but not to provoke them to anger, not to exasperate them. That's just one way that we can exasper uh, that we can provoke our children to anger. The other way that we can provoke our children to anger is this way: it's by giving them a bad example. Um, I picked up all of my parents' bad habits. I mean, I, I don't smoke, but the way that I think and the way that I view the world was greatly influenced by them for better and for worse. 
And so in all the compassion that I saw them have towards people that weren't like them, I inherited some of that, but I also inherited some of the prejudices. I also inherited some of the quickness to anger and judgment. My parents loved me, and they did the best they could, but even in their best, many of the bad examples that they set affected me. If you are an angry father, your children are going to be angry people. If you're an angry mother, your children are going to be angry people. They will imitate your way of life and they will imitate your values and how you live in front of them can provoke them to anger. So that's the thing not to do. Don't provoke them to anger. What's the healthy thing we replace it with? Could you go ahead and put verse 4 back up there? Don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You just want to go ahead and leave that up for a bit. The first phrase in the second part of that, bring them up, that means raise them, grow them. It's actually the same word as nurture that's used in the last section. So parents, you're not exasperating your children. You're not disciplining them to the point of exhaustion. Instead, you're raising them. You're nurturing them. You're loving them. And you're doing so with discipline. And so the two go together. They're supposed to go together in a beautiful way. The discipline mentioned here is the same that we talked about before. It involves training and discomfort. Now, I am not an athlete. But some of you in this room are. I'm looking specifically at Josh as he's trained cross-country runners. Um, how good is a cross-country runner if he never trains? Thumbs down. You yell at those kind of students. How come you're not? A little bit, a little bit. Fair to middling. Training easy. Hurts a little bit. Cough a little bit. I'm getting all these nice smiles and nods. There's discomfort involved. So we nurture them, yes, but we understand that sometimes that nurture, that training, will make them uncomfortable. And it will be for their growth. We give them instruction. That's content. So we don't just show them love. We don't just show them grace. We don't just take them to, to baseball games and activities, but we instruct them as parents. And that means that there's content that we're instructing them in. If you went in and somebody said, I'm your teacher, and then you went in, went in and sat down in the classroom, and then they never actually said anything to you, they just sat up in front of the, sat up in front of the room all day, and right before the bell rang, they stood up and said, hey, I love you guys, see you tomorrow. That class is a waste of time. You have years with your children, parents. Don't be, the don't be the teacher that just sits up in front of the class and says, oh, I like you guys, occasionally. 
there is content for them to learn. How will they know the scriptures if you don't know the scriptures? How will they learn what it is to walk in the Lord if you don't yourself know how to walk in the Lord and if you don't show them? Is there just some vague hope that something will happen up in those classrooms that will make them love Jesus apart from anything we do in our houses? It's so easy, and I say this, is not, this is a confession from me, it is so easy to forget what we're responsible to do. It's so easy to let the days slip by. A few weeks ago, I realized that um, my daughter's getting older and that most of my spiritual life happens in places where she doesn't see. I read my Bible and do my devotions at work. Um, I do sermon prep a lot of times outside of the house. And my time doing like devotional type things with her and with Jonas are spotty. They just are. They're spotty. I do it a lot in a burst, and then I don't do it for a while. And then I remember, oh, wait, I was supposed to be doing this. And I do it in a burst, and then I forget. And it's back and forth. I tried, I took her out the other day and I tried to explain to her what daddy's spiritual life was like, the part that she doesn't, didn't see, and I promised her that maybe I would start taking her out to pray with me uh, as just a way to instruct her. I'll do the same with my son as he gets older. I don't know what the solution is in your house because I don't know the exact pattern of your life. I don't know what your day-to-day -day looks like, but you have to find time to help your children spiritually to learn. What good is it if our kids grow up and they've got the best jobs and they marry the best looking spouses and they got the car and the house and a smooth life and they don't know Jesus? So parents, to get into the practical matters, let them see you Pursue God with abandon. Some of you, I've, I know you're doing this because you've made major life changes recently just, just to get your life in a good place where you can learn from God and your children see that. They see the sacrifices you make to go to MC or to church or to open up your Bible. They know that that's not easy because they've probably seen you live a life that, of not doing that. Let them see you pursue God with abandon. As you grow in the Lord yourself, they will see that. I urge you to repent publicly when you sin, especially if you sin against your child, because there will be times when you go past the line. There will be times when you drop the ball. Your kids know you're not perfect, and they need to not just see you pick the ball back up, they need to hear you repent when you mess up. How will they ever live a life of repentance if they don't see you living a life of repentance? And don't only repent publicly, 
but forgive publicly. Your kids know your dirty laundry. They've probably seen your face around certain people that you're angry with. They know when you have relationships in your life that aren't good. Don't just repent of your wrongdoing publicly, but forgive publicly. Let them see love and grace in your life that they can imitate. And then finally, teach them. Get, get good books. Um, if you're going to teach content, you have to know content. And so I'm not saying that you, you get the little spectacles and grow gray hair and become a part-time librarian. I'm not, I'm not talking about that type of life. But there are accessible resources out there now that can help you as a parent instruct your child. There are story Bibles that are better than some of the books of theology I had in college. That's the truth. There are, there are de family devotional books now that you don't have to study ahead of time that you can just open up and go through with your kids and it can be you and them learning together. It's easy. It takes like 10 minutes at dinner if you just get it out. Um, there's this resource that I've used in the past and I'm trying to start using again called the New City Catechism. Has any, have anybody heard of this? Catechism is a big word that we don't use a lot these days. It's basically a, a theological document that works in questions and answers. And so there's a question and then there's an answer to that question. You go through it with your children so that they can learn about the faith in a systematic way. Um, I mentioned the New City Catechism. If you search on your iPhone or on your iPad, New City Catechism in the App Store, it's all there for you. You just have to swipe through the days. You sit down for 15 minutes in the evening, and you can instruct your children in the faith without even having to go to the library. Free print copies of that are available, too, if you don't have an electronic device to, to view them on. Um, if, you, if you want, I'll, I'll print them out for you. Let me know. I'll, I'll be the one. I'll use my own paper and ink. Those are just a few things you can do, parents. Kids, I guess this will be the last point of application for you guys. Whenever you're younger, life is both easy and hard at the same time. You guys get what I'm saying by that? Um, you don't have bills yet, right? Well, some of you maybe are starting to. Um, I remember whenever I, my dad handed me the bill the first time and said, you write the check, right? And that was, a, that was fun. Um, but for the most part, you do have it easier. You don't have to think about things like mortgage refinancing and repairing your roof, and um, you know what you're going to say to the tax man when he tells you you messed up. Like those are just generally not thoughts that you have to have. Um, you don't have to think about how am I going to raise this child because <laughs> you're not a child yet, or you're not a you're not a parent yet. Life is easy, but at the same time it's hard. I know what it's like to be a kid. I you couldn't pay me a million dollars to go back. It's not easy obeying. It's not, obe it's not easy listening. There were times I looked at my parents and I thought, you just don't understand. 
And the truth is, is sometimes they didn't. Life as a child, life as a young person, a young adult who's still under the authority of their parents is not easy. I want you to realize that you're going to be making decisions right now, even in middle school, that will shape the direction of your life. Like the person you decide to be right now will affect you in the future. How you treat your parents and your friends and those around you, that will follow you. Over the next several years, you're going to be thinking about who am I as a person? What do I want to do? What do I want to be? You already got this all figured out? You're good? No, no. So you're in it. All right. Um, the only thing that I would say, and I say this because I made some of these mistakes, is don't forget the big things. Don't forget the grand things. Don't forget about the God things in life. Because in trying to figure out where to go to college and what kind of job to have and how to pay for your own clothes and car insurance, which is ridiculous at a young age, like, don't get so caught up in the minutia, the small things in life, that you miss the big things. Don't spend so much time staring at a virtual world on a screen that you don't step outside and see the beautiful world that God created and give him glory for it. At the end of the day, Jesus didn't die for your sins so that you could be caught up in small things. And so turn your mind towards him. And parents, help your kids to do that. They need you to help them do that. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, um, we just confess that none of us have been or are perfect children. We didn't obey perfectly. 